With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. college basketball podcast and one of the only basketball focused podcasts covering the Big Ten Conference. My name is Connor Lamans and I'm joined as always by my co-host Justin Golba for episode 48. Justin, whose Cleveland Browns were quite literally handed a win this past week and refused to take it. They said, no, Chargers, you take this back. Yeah, I like to make a statement on behalf of Justin Golba. Um, I'm in hell. Right now, Connor, I'm in absolute hell. Sources um, are saying the the reason being, and I'll I'll put it all on the table right now. The teams that I root for outside of Ohio State and Kent State, obviously, I am a Kent State alum and Ohio State fan, are the Cleveland Browns, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Cincinnati Reds, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Those are my teams. Uh, the Browns suck again. We suck again. Um, the Cavs might be fun this year, might not. Who knows? I can't watch them on TV. Um, the Cincinnati Reds have five different guys all playing in the playoffs right now, playing very well. None of them on the Cincinnati Reds. Nick Castellanos had three RBIs today. He made a diving catch. Henry Suarez went deep, um, although the Mariners lost, which was funny. Uh, they lost a bad one, which was funny. Um, and hockey season is starting, but the Penguins are going to be worse than last season, and they weren't incredible last season. So uh, I'm in hell. It's the only way to put it. I was in hell on just on Saturday. The the Cardinals. I, I was gonna, we were going to make this just about the Browns, and I was going to have no input because I only care about my fantasy football team. But if you're going to extend it all the way to the Reds, the Cardinals got bounced over two in the playoffs, and um, I guess I would prefer to root for a team like the Cardinals who consistently make the playoffs and then just don't advance than to have a team like the Reds that just really don't ever make the playoffs. You don't but want your was, team to have seventy wins and four hundred losses. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I'm not going <laughs> to complain about being a team that makes the playoffs every year and has a first round exit, but damn, that was really painful to watch Albert Pujols' career end by literally like you're, the Phillies had an all time comeback in game one. They were down two nothing and ended up scoring six. And then they came out and just absolutely skunked the Cardinals at game two. And, and that's like, all right, Albert, that's your career. Ha- have a great life. That's how you're going to go out. So that was agonizing, but um, yeah, I'm obviously a Cardinals hater. Uh, I will drive that bandwagon, but oh, you cannot be an Albert Pujols. Yeah, obviously, you cannot I respect be an and love. Hater. No, I don't think I out like Albert Pujols is like maybe the most universally loved player, and he's such an amazing player. And it's going to be tough. It was even hard for me as a Reds fan and a Cardinals hater watching Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright, and Albert Pujols leave the game because they've had such an impact on my life in a negative way. Um, 
So what's so funny is I bet if the Cardinals' final regular season game, which was also Albert Pujols and and Molina's final regular season game, if that was in Cincinnati instead of Pittsburgh, how much money would you be willing to bet that when they introduced them, Pujols would probably get a standing O, and then it would die down, and then Molina would probably get just booze. Yeah, yeah. Um, the stark, the yeah. stark difference. Yeah, the the stark difference. I mean, you always look at like maybe how Molina would be viewed if it wasn't for the Brandon Phillips situation, who is like universally loved in Cincinnati. That could be a podcast but, all by itself. That was that was an, if you don't know what we're talking about, just Google Yadier Molina and Brandon Phillips and just sit back and watch. YouTube.com. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, amazing. Wow, we just weed was went totally sideways into What's this baseball, podcast about? <laughs> Brandon Phillips, the most hated man in baseball. So <laughs> we'll slide back. We'll we'll slide back into what we're what we're talking about before before our guest, which we have a really big guest that we'll we'll tell you about shortly. I guess if you read the podcast description, you already <laughs> know. But anyway, um, we have preseason awards. We have two different lists of preseason awards that came out this week. Um, the Big Ten does an unofficial media poll that is actually organized by friend of the pod Adam Jardy. Um, the way he put it was, I think the Big Ten was tired of having programs complain that the Big Ten put out a ranking that put their program last. So now they just let him basically organize it and get the votes and do it so that nobody bitches at them anymore. So so Adam Jardy got votes from two beat writers for every team. That's how they did the voting. Um, so there's no bias. It's 28 total votes for 14 uh, programs and Let's see if I can pull up the results here, uh, and we can talk about those a little bit. Bum, 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 bum. All right. So for the standings, we have if I can. Get, all right. So for the standings for the for the media poll, it's Indiana at one, Illinois at two, Michigan at three, Michigan State at four, Purdue at five. Ohio State, 6, Iowa, 7, Rutgers, 8, Wisconsin, 9, Maryland, 10, Penn State, 11, Minnesota, 12, Northwestern, 13, and Nebraska, dead last. Thoughts? I have a real problem with Northwestern and Nebraska beating. No, I'm just kidding. Who cares about 13 and 14? Um, it, it made sense to me. You know, it, it – I, I think it's so hard this year. I think Penn State being 11 is a little low. Uh, I think their backcourt is maybe one of the best in the conference with Jalen Pickett and Seth Lundy and, and Cameron Winter, who, mind you, was like an Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State was talking to him at one point. So, like, very good player there. Um, there's just so many question marks in and around this team. Obviously, with Ohio State, so many new faces. Purdue has a lot of new faces. Michigan State has a lot of new, not really new faces, but new faces to the world, I guess you'd say. Michigan is 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 kind of interesting with Hunter Dickinson coming back, and then you got guys like Jalen Llewellyn, Joey Baker, Jet Howard, who knows you know their fit. Illinois and Indiana. I just did the team preview for Illinois. You know, Sky Clark is probably the biggest name coming into the conference, but who knows how healthy he's going to be? They're getting Terrence Shannon and Matthew Mayer, which are two huge transfers. Indiana has the best recruiting class in the conference coming in. One of the best front courts in the country with Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson. So 
there's a lot of question marks on this team. I think Mike Woodson, we're going to learn a lot about him. You know, they did not come in last season with a, a, a with a heaping amount of expectation. Now they are this season. I don't think people would really shy at Indiana being a top 10 team at one point in the, in the season. If these freshmen come in and, and really contribute, like I think they expect them to, they have two five stars coming in. So I, it, 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 you take it with a grain of salt. I mean, it's, it's tough to judge exactly where these teams will be, but um, I do for the most part, pretty much agree with it. I think I had Illinois over Indiana, honestly, but maybe Michigan is going to give them a fight. I do think I like tiering teams more than ranking them. I think tier one is, Indiana, Michigan, and Illinois with Michigan state kind of hovering at like a tier one and a half and then tier two being Ohio state and Purdue. So I don't really have too much of a problem with it. I think in general, I think in general, the big 10 is going to suck this year. Yes. Um, we had, the, I have to say that before we have our guest on because <laughs> he may have, uh, he, he may disagree with that. Um, I think in general, the big 10 is going to suck. Like I look at these teams and I see two teams that I think are good enough to make the Elite Eight, and I don't even think they're good enough to be in the Final Four, and that's Indiana and Illinois. Yeah. I, I think there are a few other teams that – I know it It always is dependent on matchups when you get the bracket and you're like, oh, I could see, for example, if you look at Rutgers, if Rutgers is like a nine seed, you could be like, oh, I could maybe see Rutgers making winning two games or something like that. Um, but when you're looking preseason, that's not based on the matchups. It's just like how good is the team? Do you see them as one of the Final 16 – there's a couple teams that could maybe make a Sweet 16, like Ohio State, uh, Purdue. I think Wisconsin is once again going to do the thing where everybody picks them really low and then they play much better than what's expected. Like last year when I picked them 12th and they ended up winning a share of the conference. Because they returned your guy, Chucky Hepburn, who was solid as a freshman. He was solid as a freshman. He's going to be probably one of the 10 best players in the conference this year. Tyler Wall is already an established good player. Like he, he's a very good player. Steven Crowell wasn't a huge producer for them last year, but he was solid and he'll play more minutes. Like Wisconsin is not going to finish in ninth. I'll put my next paycheck on that. They are not going to finish ninth. I don't think they're going to win the conference, but I think they once again are going to be underappreciated until it's too late. But I do agree with you on Penn state. I think there's like a, non-zero chance that Penn State could make the NCAA tournament. A non-zero chance is all I would say. Because oh, 100%. They've got a few dudes. No, not a 100% chance. A non-zero yeah. chance. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I really like Michael Shrewsbury, too, and I think he's got a lot of respect around the around the country. Kind of like a kind of like Ben Johnson in Minnesota. I think people talk really highly about Ben Johnson. It's just the talent isn't there yet. Uh, for Penn State, the talent is starting to get there. So I'm I'm very curious. the The recruit's name is escaping me. I apologize, but they got a four star coming in next year too, who's a legacy that'll be big. So they have a lot of they got a lot of the. I will say the future is at least bright. I would say somewhat bright. The problem is they got to play all these good, really good teams. It's kind of like I, I I view it as like Maryland football in the Big Ten. It's like Maryland football is good this year. You know, Tulia Tagovailoa can throw the football. They got some weapons on the outside. They have a better defense than they normally do, but they still have to play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State. You know, it's just do you, do you see those beating? Do you see them beating those teams? Probably not. Kind of like Penn State in, in basketball. Obviously, basketball is very different than football, but same kind of concept in, in my eyes. And also sucks that Penn State probably has the worst home arena. Like it's so bad. Maybe in the country, and it's not even like 
it's a hot take. Even people that like Penn State and follow Penn State are like, yeah, the Bryce Jordan Center just sucks. Like nobody goes to games. It's just like a big echo chamber because it's so empty. Yeah. So it's like you're like Penn State has to play the good teams. Usually the counter to that is, yeah, well, the, when those teams come play us at home, let's take advantage of that and try to knock off a few of these good teams at home. For them, playing at home doesn't really mean all that much because like their home environment kind of stinks. But I just think that they've got a couple guys. Jalen Pickett was really good in the Big Ten tournament when I saw them in Indy. Miles he's, Dredd, he's fantastic. Miles Dredd is back, who's like not a star, but he's very consistent. Seth Lundy is a guy that could totally end up being uh, first team all Big Ten if he gets a little more efficient with his shooting. Um, I think they've got some guys. I think they could. I think they could make the NCAA tournament. But although I don't blame any of these. Um, like the people in the media for putting them where they're at. Yeah, agree. And also, it's, you kind of look at it and you go, um, you kind of start to play the game of like, okay, they're in eleventh, but who exactly do you see them over? Right. I mean, as you just mentioned, Wisconsin's in ninth. You know, they always tend to play a little better than I think people expect them to. They don't have a Johnny Davis this year, so that's where I, I think they're really going to struggle offensively at points. But like, even Maryland is at tenth. They got Dante Scott coming back. You know, Jameer Young coming in from Charlotte, he's a he's a he's a gamer. He's gonna kind of be like Fats Russell. You know, he's just gonna have his ball the ball in his hands at all times, for better or for worse. Eighth is Rutgers. You know, they're losing Ron Harper and Geo Baker, but they got Paul McKay, Caleb McConnell, you know, Cam Spencer's a transfer coming in. They, like all these guys have guys. You know, Iowa, everyone expects uh, Chris Murray to kind of take the Keegan Murray jump, whether that's fair or not. So, you know, it's just I, I think the conference it's not top heavy. I don't believe there's any. Like I said, there's not a there's not a national title contender in the group. I don't think. I probably would hesitate to say there's a Final Four or Elite Eight contender in the group, but I think they'll probably have seven or eight teams make the tournament again. And it's just going to be they kind of cannibalize each other in conference play because legitimately anybody can beat anybody with how kind of how this this conference seems to be setting up with all the I talent think, that left. I do think the only team that, in my opinion, that I can see that's that probably just got more respect and more votes because of who they are, not who's on the team is Michigan state. Yeah. Um, I mean, Michigan state is a, it, it, they are a dead, even 20 and 20 in big 10 play the last two years combined. They have been the definition of, of um, average good. They've been a good basketball team. They have not been a contend for the big 10 kind of team. And they pretty much return. They just they return like Malik Hall, AJ Hogarth, Joey Hauser, uh, Tyson Walker, Malik Hall. The hot Malik Hall, the, the highest score out of all those guys is Malik Hall, who I believe averaged nine points a game. So they that, need someone to take a jump. Yeah, ex- exactly. The voting is partially because it's Tom Izzo. Well, the last two years, it's Tom Izzo has still only led to a twenty and twenty record in big time play. And the second part is what you said. The voters are assuming that somebody is going to make a jump. Malik Hall is going to go from a nine point per game to like a 13 points per game or like Joey Hauser is going to make the jump or maybe AJ Hogard takes yeah, a big I, step forward. I think if there's nobody on this roster, there's nobody on this roster that's like, Oh man, like he's a killer. No, but I do think Hogard is very, very good. And I think Hogard is a guy that they're going to really expect to have a, a, a large share of minutes this year. And I think that he's going to be, I think we'll probably finish up being an all Big Ten kind of guy. Maybe not first team, but a guy that can take that kind of jump and really surprise people. Um, and honestly, you know, and like I said, I just did their team preview today. Illinois' ceiling is incredibly high. 
They have a really good recruited class coming in. They're probably going to start some sort of lineup of like Sky Clark, R.J. Melendez, uh, Terrence Shannon Jr., Matthew Mayer, and Coleman Hawkins somewhere in that in that range. Maybe swap one or two guys out. Maybe that, that's go. a very that's funny because like Terrence Shannon, that's a very like Texas Tech kind of lineup too. It is, and it, it that's a very high ceiling lineup, right? Because a lot of people expect Melendez to jump, take a huge jump this year. Coleman Hawkins took a jump throughout last year and looked really good. Obviously, like I said, Matthew Mayer and Terrence Shannon are proven guys that can play at a high level. And Sky Clark is probably the biggest name freshman coming in. So there's a lot. Uh, you can get a lot of those guys. The depth might be a question. And also, you know, you're putting together – it's still a team of only one guy that started last year, and that was Coleman Hawkins, who still only played about 18 minutes a game. So, you know, the, the pieces are there. It's just kind of, it's similar to Ohio State. Like, I think Ohio State's ceiling is very high, but I got to see it. And I'm curious to see what it looks like. Yeah, they did. There's just, there's fewer there there's fewer known um, commodities than Indiana. That's all. Like you know, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. You know you're going to get with TJD. You know what you're going to get from Race Thompson. You know what you're going to get from Xavier Johnson, especially if he plays the way he did at the end of last season. Uh, Miller yes. Cop is back. Buckeye Killer Miller Cop from when he was with Northwestern. <laughs> um, and then they've got off the bench. They have Anthony Leal, who was pretty good. Um, I think that one guy named Jordan Geronimo is back too. But they just they return pretty much everything so you know what you're going to get with indiana and it seems like a more reliable pick than illinois and it's funny we just totally glazed over ohio state because i don't think anybody has any beef with ohio state being pick six that that seems about right yeah that seems seems perfect it's not only not only because it lines up with kind of how they've been through the past five years in general but just you know six six is a good number it's a tier two you know it kind of says and they said it in the preview there's a lot of talent they have no idea how it's going to mesh, <laughs> you know, when you're, they're probably going to start a freshman, a point guard, which as high as we are on Bruce Thornton. And I just said this about Illinois with Sky Clark, you know, a freshman point guard is always going to be a question. You're relying on guys to kind of take a jump. You're relying on Tan- a guy like Tanner Holden to really embrace the big 10 and be able to, to keep up with it. You're relying on justice soon to be held. You know, there's a lot of things you're relying on. If it all fits into place and the puzzle pieces, you know, fit as they should, a really really good team if they don't it could be a struggle so we'll see they did player of the year freshman of the year all that stuff uh player of the year hunter dickinson from michigan edged out um trace jackson davis by one vote for preseason player of the year uh jalen hood shafino from indiana is expected to be a starter for them potentially a one and done guy he is the freshman of the year um based on the media voting transfer of the year Terrence Shannon, which is not surprising at all. No. Uh, first team, all Big Ten. They just did straight votes. They didn't. Um, they didn't require you to go like two guards, three bigs, or anything like that. So they have Hunter Dickinson, Trace Jackson Davis, Zach Eady, Chris Murray, and Cliff Amore from Rutgers as first team. And then <laughs> second team, they have it's the Terrence biggest Shannon. team I've ever seen. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They just voted for players they didn't like. They didn't divvy it up by position like I would probably do. Um, then second team, they have Terrence Shannon, Jamison Battle, who I was going to say Jamison Battle is like um, a first team. Like I think he could be a first team guy, but when you see all those guys that are in first team, maybe not. Um, Xavier Johnson from Indiana, Chucky Hepburn, your guy, and then uh, Tyler Wall. So like we are saying, like Wisconsin has two, two all Big Ten caliber players um, sitting there on their team. Uh, no Buckeyes in this list, which shouldn't really be a surprise, but 
I think that uh, Justice Suing could end up because postseason they do three All Big Ten teams. So I'm pretty confident that Justice Suing is going to end up in one of these All Big Ten teams. Yeah, I don't think anybody will question that Justice Suing is a All Big Ten player as long as he's healthy. That's all it is. I would put Jameson Battle on first team over Clifford Morier. Um, I just think Jameson Battle is just going to simply have more of a role on that team, and he's going to have to do more. So just the stats would probably be mean Dude, more. Jameson Battle is so good. He's so good. He's he's very he's, he's, he's very so, very. He's good. so underappreciated and like not noticed because Minnesota is so bad. But if you look at his stats, man, he is so good. He's a uh, he he shoots. He takes a lot of shots. He hits them at a high clip. He shoots threes. Like he would be such a big name if he played for like Kentucky. Yeah, I another thing I'm I'm really surprised about. And again, he's my guy. I love him. Covered him in high school. I love Chucky Hepburn. I would put Jalen Pickett on second team All Big Ten over him. Um, I think Jalen Pickett's arguably a first team guy. I just don't know who I'd pull off. I, I I think they're kind of expecting Chucky to have to take more of a scoring role in this team, which he will have to. But you know, you looked at kind of the role Chucky played last year, and it was very much of just kind of you know freshman point again freshman point guard, just kind of learning the ropes. He played very well, very efficient. Didn't turn the ball over. Like he kind of did what he had to do for that team with Johnny Davis and Brad Davison. Now with those guys gone, I think they're assuming he's going to take more of a scoring role, which he might. But I know Jalen Pickett is going to have a scoring role at Penn State, and I I think Penn State is right. going to be better than people think. So I think, and I think it'll be because of Jalen Pickett. And then honestly, transfer of the year, Terry Shannon makes a lot of sense. I would not be surprised at all if Cam Winter works his way into that conversation this season. I love Cam Winter and his game. But do, but do you think Penn State is just better than Wisconsin? Right now, no. I'd say no. I'd say no. Right now, I need to see their front court. I, what I can't say is back court, yes. The front court, no. They lo- they lost John Hare. They have nobody. Yeah. That, they have nobody that's going to be grabbing many rebounds. Well, they have well the Western Michigan transfer, correct? Still Lee. His first name is escaping me, but I believe that is their six ten. Their their guy. I'm assuming that's their big guy. He's from Western Michigan, but uh, he played some minutes last year because Hare. You know, can't play 35 minutes a game. His name but, Gre- is his name Greg Lee? Yeah, Greg Lee, um, I believe. So I think he's still there. But as long as he is, he'll be the kind of the guy that they need to, you know, really I kind of. Because John Hare, I think John Hare honestly was a little bit uh, underrated in what he was able to do because, yeah, he's still with Penn State. Um, because of what he was able to do, well, because Penn State wasn't that good, I think he kind of got overlooked. John Hare was a legitimate 15 is he 10 still guy. Penn, is he still with Penn State? According to his Twitter, he is. It says Penn State basketball. We'll have um, to see because I'm on his college reference page, and he already has five years of, of basketball played. However, uh, maybe he, his first year, it looks like he only played in one game. So I bet two years at Cal State Bakerfield, one year at Western Michigan, one year at Penn State. The COVID year from – was the COVID year 19 or 20? No, it was 20 to 21. That doesn't count, so you're right. He probably still is there, actually. He probably has one year left at age like 28. Anyway, go yeah. on. Yeah, I was – so regardless, if he's there, he'll be the guy. If he's not, then they're really going to have some questions on the front court. But I'm, I'm very interested to see how Penn State – especially just to start how they go um, and see kind of where Cam, Cam Winter kind of plays with Seth Lundy and Jalen Pickett. You know, those guys can obviously all play together. It's not like that's going to be an issue. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be you, interesting to see. I'll tell you this much. Penn State is a team that in the past several years um, – it's funny that this is going to be – more of a Penn State podcast than Ohio State for a little bit. 
when there's no pressure on them and they're just playing freely, like when they're the 13th seed in the Big Ten tournament, there's not many teams. There are very few teams that I'm more afraid of than a Penn State team that has nothing invested. So if Penn State makes it to the NCAA tournament as like an 11 seed play-in game, you can write this down right now. I'm picking them to win their first NCAA tournament game, even if it's like a a, a eight versus one or something. If they're like an eight seed and they end up going to the second round, I, I will pick Penn State to win a tournament game in my bracket if they make it. Yeah, I, I mean, I said it before when we previewed the the Big Ten tournament game. Like Penn State is is just that team. Anytime Ohio State plays them, well, I mean, remember when they played um, when Ohio State was a friggin' well, they were really, really good. They were like, you know, they had like six losses on the season or something. The Cade Base the offseason. The 2017 yeah, lost three times to Penn State. Like half their losses yeah. were to Penn State yeah. and Tony Carr. Yeah. So I'm Penn State you. is just always that team. They always have one guy, <laughs> right? Every starting back to Taylor Battle. Then it was Tony Carr. Then it was, you know, so, 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 so. They always have one guy. This year's Jalen Pickett who is very good, and they always have a lot of guys who are pretty good. And, you know, I, I, I question their coaching uh, when it was Pat Chambers. Now I like their coach. So I, I, I'm not saying they're going to win the Big Ten or anything, but I, I would say no. they're going to finish higher than 11. And I think I would not be surprised if come January, February, they play at Illinois, at Indiana, God forbid, at Ohio State, and, and win. Yeah, I mean, there's like I said, there's – I can't think of a team that I would not want to play more than a Penn State team that truly has no expectations and they're just playing freely. I kind of feel like Penn State, the way I thought about Rutgers like two years ago when they finally made the tournament after yeah. not making the tournament for like 30 years. Um, I don't know. They've got some guys and Michael Shrewsbury seems like a really good coach and I was really just I was really impressed with them in Indy in March. I know it's a little bit of a different team, but they, they return. They return quite a bit of that. So we'll see. Bringing in some guys too. So If they make the tournament, I'll pick them to win a game. Um, the other preview that we can talk about, which I, it's funny that you also purchased it because I also did. Um, the 2022-2023 College Basketball Almanac was released uh, in September. And basically it's put together by Field of 68, which is the sports network that Jeff Goodman is the head of or one of the um, – Big wigs at Field of Sixty Eight. Um, it, it was founded by Rob, Rob Douster, by the way. It was yeah, it's Rob Douster's kind of baby, I guess you'd say. There we go. Uh, Heat Check and Three Man Weave, which are a couple of um, programs that I know you pay a lot of attention to. I don't listen to their stuff, but you talk very highly of them. And Verbal Commits, great people. Um, they all collaborated and put out an eight hundred and fourteen page preview for the college basketball season, which is <laughs> the best thing I've ever seen. It's twenty dollars. Um, so if you're interested, this is we're, we're not. In, we, this is a free ad for them. Awesome, awesome, awesome work they did on this. Um, yeah, it's they've amazing. Got, they've got conference previews for every single conference. They've got projected lineups for every single team. They've got full rosters. They interviewed every single coach of every single team to have the coaches take on their upcoming season. It's it's fantastic. But what we're going to focus on is. The Big Ten Conference and that preview, which let's see here, they did projected standings and then they also did all conference teams and they also did something cool where they it says answers via anonymous poll of league coaches. So the coaches all answered some like specific player uh, questions. So their standings, they did Indiana one, 
Illinois two, Michigan three, which is the same as the media poll, Ohio nice. State four, mm. Iowa five, Michigan Michigan State six, which in the media poll they were four, Purdue seven, Rutgers eight, Penn State nine, which we're talking about Penn State, they were eleven in the media poll, Wisconsin ten, Maryland eleven, Northwestern twelve. Minnesota 13, Nebraska 14. So a lot of love for Ohio State from these guys. Less love for Michigan State. Yeah. Um, I I think I would probably lean towards this standings. I agree with a little bit more. Like I said, I'm higher on Penn State. I'm a little bit lower on Michigan State. Ohio State, you put them anywhere to four to six. I have no problem. I don't think they're below six. I don't think they're above four. I think the top three teams in the conference are very obvious. I think it's those three. You can put them in kind of any order you want. I would say that those three are the obvious. Like I said, I like to tier teams more than rank. I would tier them there. Um, after that, you know, I mean, when you get into the 11, 12, 13, 14s, I don't really care. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, they do a great job. Like you said, I'm really, I, I love the heat check guys. I've worked with some of them. We had Kevin Sweeney on the pod who works with them. Um, you know, who has a, who knows a lot of them and has some input with them. So, um, you know, I I definitely, you know, if you don't have this almanac and you have any interest in college basketball, go grab it. It's going to be something we talked about it before we started recording. It's going to be something that I, I'm just going to pull, pull it up in a tab on my computer. It's up now and I'm probably going to leave it in a tab until April. Yeah, because it's going to be so useful to any time that like you see a team like, I don't know, on TV, it's like, oh, man, Kentucky just got beat by um, hypothetical Kentucky's going to be really good, but it's like, Oh man, like Kentucky just lost to, um, to Arkansas at home at Rupp. Oh man. And who, who's on Arkansas team? Literally just open up the almanac, do c- control F and search Arkansas and it'll have their entire roster. Who's coming back. Who's leaving like everything you could ever want. Um, so then after that, they had awards, which again, these were not voted by coaches. These were voted by the guys that put this together. Player of the year, Trace Jackson Davis, which is different from the media poll, which had Dickinson. Defensive player of the year, Caleb McConnell, probably going to be the favorite for that. Newcomer of the year, Terrence Shannon. Coach of the year, Chris Holtman. So they expect the Buckeyes to be in the top four seed in the Big Ten. So they're That's huge. Chris Holtman, coach of the year preseason. That would be <laughs> I, I need to be on Twitter when Chris Holtman wins coach of the year. But He's already won it once. I know, and don't tell Twitter that they'll they'll act like he's bad at his job. So that would be a fun day. <laughs> I think if if they get a top four seed in the Big Ten, it might be deserved, depending on what everybody else does, because they'll say you know all, ten new players, four freshmen, three transfers, lost two NBA draft picks, and now they're oh, better I, than they were a year ago. Then it would probably be deserved. I, I don't 100%. think Ohio State's gonna. I don't think they'll finish in the top four in the conference, but. Overall, it's just like not a great conference. So I have them at. I did my rankings a couple of days. Ago. I have them at fourth. Um, okay. But Michigan State's tough because I could see. I mean, I just said it before. They're like a tier one and a half to me. I could see them finishing fourth, but I right now I do have Ohio State as fourth. So we'll see. All conference, they did that as well. I think they. No, not really. They kind of tried, it looks like, to put some more guards and forwards in there versus just centers because the, there's so many good centers in the Big Ten, but not really. Um, their first team, they have Jalen Pickett first team, which there is we go. 
you know, you, see, you can tell, you can like tell I listen to these guys and follow them because of what everything I've just said over the past twenty minutes. They're like falling in line with. <laughs> you've been, you've been, you've been consuming the the Jalen Pickett propaganda. They got Jalen Pickett, who was not first or second team in the media poll, I believe. Chris Murray, first team as well. Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana, first team. Hunter Dickinson, first team. Zach Eady, first team. Second team, uh, Chucky Hepburn, second team. Jamison Battle, second team. Terrence Shannon, second team. Tyler Wall, second team. Um, Cliff Amore, second team. So I think if you swap Cliff Amore and Chris Murray, then it's the same and then Jalen the, Pickett, Jalen Pickett replaces somebody that was on the media one that is completely left off of this one. Correct me if I'm wrong. Where did the media poll have Chris Murray? Was he not listed? Let me let me scroll back and see. I think he has to be. There's no way they forgot him. Yeah, because I just don't remember where he was listed, but I don't remember hearing him. But obviously, yeah, he's first team. Yeah, they do okay. have him as first team. So in the, the so the poll. media poll had their first team was Murray, Amore, Edie. Jackson Davis and Dickinson. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then you put Pickett in there. So who gets booted out of the first team into the second team? Amorie was was second team for them. Oh, okay. So they just flip. So then who do they boot out of second team to put Pickett in there? Did you say up. Wall? Did you say Wall? Uh, Tyler Wall is second team in both. Tepper. Oh, it's Xavier Johnson. It's Xavier. Johnson. Oh, Xavier Johnson. Yeah, and that makes sense because you know Xavier Johnson is more of a kind of. I don't want to say boom or bust because he's a senior. Like you know what he's getting, you know what he is. But also, there's games where he can be amazing, and there's games where he's like damn near unplayable. So yeah, he's that got could some, be where that could hurt. He's got some Dwayne Washington in him for sure. Yeah, a little um, bit of like Devontae Jones, kind of like Michigan last year at times. Pain. Even though he was really good towards the end of the season, but the last part is probably the most fun part because they pulled off. Like we said, they talked to all the coaches. They talked to every single coach for this almanac. And for every conference, they did an anonymous poll for a couple of these little awards. So this comes straight from the coaches. Breakout player, your guy, Chucky Hepburn. Yeah, that makes Best sense. Best pro prospect, Chris Murray, Iowa. That makes checks sense. Out. Sleeper team, the Penn State Nittany Lions. <laughs> um, player that scares you the most, Zach Eady of Purdue. That that uh, checks out. He's 7'5", yeah, 300. Um, best, <laughs> best X's and O's coach. Matt Painter, Purdue. Uh, um, okay, okay, sure. <laughs> I don't disagree strongly enough to argue. Best home court advantage, Purdue, which that, yeah, that checks sure. out. Every Without single guest we've, every guest we've had on that we asked that question says Mackie. Um, Spoiler alert. I just think it's so funny that they the, the coaches, like, it's funny because this isn't our personal saying Penn State's going to be good or, like, the 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 heat check three man weave guys who you said are pretty high in Penn State saying they're going to be pretty good. These are all of the Big Ten coaches saying yeah. Penn State's going to be, be pretty good. Team. And that makes sense because you know I think Holtman was one of the first ones. But like when you watch teams play Penn State, Izzo talked about it. Underwood did. They're really they really respect Micah Shrewsbury, and you can kind of see when coaches respect other coaches, they tend to kind of view their teams their team in a higher lens. And I think that's what you're seeing here with Penn State specifically. Yeah, I agree. Um, breakout player. There's so many other breakout players that you could potentially say too. I think that um, RJ. Yeah. I think that Melendez from Illinois is a guy that potentially could take them over the top to be um, like a like to win. I think like if our if if Melendez is like an all league type player, I think Illinois has a much better chance to win the league. Um, 
trying to think of other examples, but Chucky Hepburn's like a safe pick for breakout player, but there's some other like flashy Sky Clark, basically half of the people on Illinois' team. I mean, there's a couple. I think you could argue Justice Suing would be one um, just because, you know, as good as he was in 2020, not playing in 2021. And then, like I said, if he's healthy and on his game, he could be an all Big Ten player. So I think he could be one. And I think all the freshmen for Ohio State could be, I mean, Bryce Sensiball could be one. You know, Ohio State has like nine guys that could be one. So who knows? Is there anything else with these previews you want to hit before we get to our, our, our special guest? Our, I think we pretty much covered both. Uh, we, are offici- we are officially less than a month away from hoops. That's all I need to say. Yeah, I think what's Shamanad November first. That's what's well, the exhibition. But yeah, same thing. It's true. Yeah, it counts. I'm, I'll be I'll be in the building. I'll it be counts. There for it that. counts. It counts for that, sure. First that, game is November seventh, I believe. Real game. November seventh. Um, we're here. We're vibing. It's it's time. I just we got are, an, I just got an email. It says uh, my. PlayStation purchase was successful, and I didn't buy anything off my PlayStation while I've been recording this podcast. So more on that later. We'll see if somebody's jacked my card and bought something from the PlayStation store. Um, should we should we give our should we give our news before our interview about the podcast and what we might be doing soon? What are we doing soon? Well, we're going back to weekly. I so say you know it's college hoops time. Oh yeah, I was going to say at the end, but yes, we're we're weekly now. So we'll be back next week. Um, hopefully with another guest, but so we were just talking about all those coaches, their anonymous poll. Speaking of, of coaches, our guest today is uh, someone most of you will be very familiar with. He's been around the game of basketball his whole life. His family is one, uh, that if you're in the state of Ohio, you're familiar with their last name. He's had two separate stints at Ohio state on the staff and is currently the associate head coach of the Ohio state men's basketball program. So for this week's episode, we have to sit down and talk to Mr. Jake Diebler. Uh, we talked to Coach Diebler about, you know, what kind of what changed his mind initially when he was very firm that he didn't want to be a coach. Now, obviously, he is a coach. Uh, kind of his coaching style, what what he's learned works and what doesn't work with athletes, um, as well as well as just his experience with Ohio State in the city of Columbus with Holtman since he's uh, gotten back with the program. So, we hope everybody enjoys it. All right, this week we are lucky enough to be talking to Ohio State Associate Head Coach Jake Diebler, who is now technically in his seventh season with the program since he did spend a couple years uh, with the team while Thad Mata was still here. Uh, Jake, thanks for taking the time to chat with us this week. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So, Coach Diebler, the first question I have for you is something that it was brought to my attention this week at the open practice that quite a few people actually turned out to see. So shout out to the Buckeye fans for showing out a couple hundred people at open practice. Great crowd. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good event. How important is it to you to give positive and negative feedback to players right in the moment during practice? Because that's one of the biggest things I took away is when somebody did something good, for example, maybe like Gene or Bryce, it's, it's, it's clapping, it's good job, Gene, good job, Bryce, just like that. And also, if they goof something up, it's right in that moment, you know, where did you need to be? Where should you have been there? Instead of waiting until later, how important is it for you guys to be vocal and to really give that positive and negative feedback right away? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think it's I think it's critical because in the flow of a game, you know, you have to be able to make adjustments. And, 
in practice, you're doing your best to simulate game situations. So whether it's coming over in a timeout or dead ball uh, during a game and you're kind of yelling something onto the court to help correct a guy or to give, you know, that positive reinforcement is important. And I think I learned from my dad, you know, for those who don't know, my dad is longtime high school coach here in Ohio. And I learned from my dad really early on as, when I played for him um, that you're, it should, you should always celebrate success with just as much um, intensity just as much passion as you as you correct uh, guys with when they do something wrong. And so I think coach coach does a great job, uh, Coach Holtman creating energy in our practice. He wants us to do that as a staff, but I know me personally, um, it, it's important to uh, give encouragement and celebrate when guys do things right uh, with the same type of energy and passion that you know, sometimes is needed when they when they do something wrong or, or make a mistake. And and you got to be able to do it on the fly and, and, and do it because I think that's a huge part of basketball, being able to make adjustments. And a quick follow-up on that before Justin takes the next one. Is that something that you that you use, you think, in recruiting when you're talking to kids? Like, hey, when, you know, we're going to tell you the things that – we're going to tell you the things that you're doing well and we're going to tell you the things that you're not doing well. We're going to tell you the things that we think you need to work on. And, and do you think that that is something that, you know, young men respond to well? Yeah, I think guys have guys have really responded well to um, to us, you know, being honest. And we tell recruits all the time that we coach in truth. And, you know, while we're recruiting them, we're not just telling them. And I think this is probably some guys have even given quotes on this. Like we're not just telling them, hey, all you know, everything you do is great. You're a perfect player. You know, life's going to be easy at Ohio State. Um we're, we're absolutely talking through areas of growth that they need to uh, need to make as as players leading into their time here at Ohio State. And we make it very clear that, you know, we're going to be honest with them both as we coach them, both kind of on and off the court, um, it, you know, while they're here. And I think good players, the, the type of players that we try to recruit, they want the truth. And they and and the truth is is so critical to guys growing. Like Malachi Branham, you know, he didn't always agree and he didn't always love, you know, the the truth that was handed to him. But he wanted it. He kept coming back for more. Um, and it's it's part of why you know his embrace of that was part of why he he, he grew so quickly. Um, and I, I think also you got to make sure they got to know that while you're being truthful. And honest, it, it, they need to know and understand it's coming out of a place of love and and kind of desire for, for us, you know, for our, our desire for them to become the best, best version of themselves they can be. Yeah. And, you know, over the past two seasons, it's been kind of a, a whirlwind for everybody and everyone's had to kind of adjust to things they weren't used to. And obviously last year against Northwestern. You know, Coach Holtman and Coach Pedon weren't able to to coach. Um, you were kind of thrust into a, you know, in, into that role and at a moment's notice. And, you know, you're taking on a Northwestern team that you guys were able to beat, but a very experienced coach on the other side. What was that like for you taking over that role? And obviously it, it kind of seemed like in a moment's notice and whatnot that you would be kind of the, in charge for that game. Yeah, um, it was a. That was a wild, like, 48 hours. And, you know, I think there's a lot of things. Selfishly, right, it's you get to kind of serve serve Ohio State in that seat for a game is a, 
is a dream come true for someone like myself, born and raised in this state. And, and, you know, my brother playing here followed this program so closely for so long. So, you know, I, I, I think there was a moment in time kind of leading up to that where it was like, wow, you know, you, you actually get to do this. You've been called upon to do this for, for a game. Um, and, you know, I think there, this notion, right. That, Oh, it was just, you know, me on my own or, or, or me and, and the rest of our staff who didn't have, who wasn't out on our own. That wasn't the case. You know, coach, coach Holtman, coach Peden were very, very much involved on the game planning and things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was nervous. You know, I think that's part of it. I think I was certainly, certainly a little nervous. Um, EJ Liddell deciding to catch fire early on in that game, I think helped my yes, nerves as much as it helped everybody else's nerves. And yeah, that's a very, very challenging team to prepare for as is uh, with, with the, you know, kind of the, the complexities of, of their style of play. But in that situation, you know, as I've seen coaches that head coaches that I've worked for do so often, um, I, you know, I really leaned on our upperclassmen and uh, they, they answered the bell in a great way. And, you know, it ended up, I think all the things when you, when you're in a, when you're in a position, when you're an assistant coach working for a guy like Chris Holtman, who's regarded as, you know, one of the, the, the very best and most well-respected coaches across the country, you, you're constantly trying to pick things up from him, things that um, can help you, you know, in, in, in the hopes that someday you get a chance to run your own program. And um, you don't always think about those things day to day, but in that moment you lean on kind of, you know, I leaned on my experience with him, watching him work. And, and you know, he was clear like, hey, don't, you know, he wanted me to be myself. Um, but I certainly tried to tried to be like him a lot too in that in that game <laughs> how much how much advance notice did you have like when did they I don't know if it was Holtman or if it was whoever contacted you and was like hey here's here's the situation uh it's gonna be it's gonna be you against Northwestern so get ready <laughs> yeah we, we had a we had a feel a couple days before the game that it could it could end up being that way um and we had to you know we had to practice as if it could and then then we obviously the day before the game had to prep knowing that that was going to be the case. Um, but, you know, it was – the task was easier, I think, because of the veteran leadership we had. And, and you know, obviously some, some really good, good talented players. Um, but, you know, this, this program – and I, I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this after the game. Like, there's a culture in, a, in, a, in this – about this program and, and ultimately in times like that, when there's maybe a, I guess you could, you could consider that like adversity or if there's, there's change. Like, I think at that, at that point in time, you have to really lean on your foundation. And if you have a strong foundation, like we were built as a program, the culture of our program, we were built to be able to be successful in that situation uh, because of, because of that. So I, I think that was a huge, huge part of it too. So you just mentioned uh, you just mentioned Holtman. So I had a question about kind of your take on him as a recruiter and what works for him. So I'm not going to name any names of recruits because technically we're not allowed. And I don't want to get you in trouble. But with a lot of Thanks. recent recruits, <laughs> we're, always, we're looking out without with a lot of recent recruits. Um, I'm hearing a lot of very similar comments about Chris Holtman. Like I heard a guy say, you know, I was at dinner with his family and I just decided like 
he's the guy that I want to play for. Or I just felt like Holtman and Diebler, they're the ones that they, they cared about my well-being and they cared about my progress the most. So what do you think it is about Chris Holtman as a coach and, and a person that recruits are drawn to that they're like, that's the, that's the guy that I want to play for. Not necessarily the, the program or the brand name, but just him as a person. Yeah, he, he's genuine. You know, I think, I think that's something that a lot of times, you know, in, in recruiting when you're not genuine, I think it's really, really hard to, to recruit at a high level because kids, kids, kids are smart. They can see through that. Um, so Holt, Holt is genuine. Um, and, and he's very much who he is on a day-to-day, you know, around our office or around our team. That's who he is in recruiting. And and he works really, really hard at it. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times people just assume that that head coaches, you know, only close in recruiting or – but but I think coach works really hard at it, uh, which is important. He's, he's true to who he is and, and very genuine in the recruiting process with, with recruits. And, you know, we, we kind of, we're, we're honest with them. I, I think that's, I think ultimately, you know, that's helped form the connections that you may have heard guys talk about with, with him and our staff, obviously Ohio state, the power of this place, Buckeye nation, the history of this program, those are all important factors in recruiting, but, you know, coach is a, He's an excellent teacher. When guys come to practice and see him run a practice, I think they feel really confident that our staff is going to help them get better. Um, we got a track record of that, but I, but ultimately, who coaches as a person and just the the his the way he's genuine in the process. I think people have really kids kids have kids and their families have really connected with that. Yeah, and, and kind of keeping on the recruiting, and I think. This is a question that a lot of people have been asked because of the ever-evolving kind of landscape of college basketball. And I think Coach Holtman has given a pretty good answer on this. But just in your opinion, what is kind of the difference in the approach you guys have on the transfer portal, you know, versus recruits? Because I know a lot of programs, they've leaned heavily into the transfer portal and kind of, you know, put recruiting on the back burner or they still try to get, you know, as many recruits as they can and, you know, kind of go to the transfer portal at will. You guys kind of seem to do a little bit of both. Uh, just what is kind of your approach to that as a coach and especially as it seems like it's changing every year? Yeah, I, I think we're, we want to have a balance. Um, you know, I think that's important to us. Like this year, you know, we added, if you, if you kind of remove our, our walk-ons out of the equation, out of the, the eight, you know, guys, we, we brought in five refreshmen, three were transfers. And so I think there's a, we believe in, in the balance. Um, we want, I think, coach, it's really, really important to coach that guys on our team have an opportunity to grow as young players. Um, but we also know, like, the transfer portal allows you to really um, – gives you the versatility to, you know, to, to add specific roles to your team late in the, in the, in the recruiting process. So sometimes those roles can be really, really big. Sometimes they might not be as big, and we're constantly trying to – you know, put this this kind of these pieces together to form a great team. Um, but the, the flexibility of the portal is important, I think, you know, and, and certainly old wins, uh, you know, old wins often in college basketball. So there's got to be a balance there. Um, but I think we're, you know, our, our approach of 
of allowing young guys to grow like Malachi did, or, you know, hopefully like some of the guys on our roster as freshmen can, can grow. And, but, you know, we've also brought in, brought in three really high level transfers too, who we're anticipating having, having really big roles for us. So it's, it'll be interesting to see, you know, 10 new players out of 14 is a lot, I think. Um, and I don't know that it'll be that high every year. I, I don't anticipate it being that high, but I think the days of just adding, you know, one, two, or three new players is th- those days are over. And yeah. before before Connor gets in the next one, I do have a quick follow up. Just you know, in general, um, is it kind of nice as a coach to have that transfer portal there in case something happens where you have, you know, maybe a guy transfer out that you weren't expecting, or a guy go pro if you weren't expecting it? Is it kind of nice to have that portal there where you can go? Okay, wait a minute. We didn't really expect to have to fill this roster spot. Let's go see who's there and, and kind of do it that way a little bit. Yeah, I think Malachi is a great example. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure all five actually, yeah, all, all five of our current freshmen had committed to Ohio State before we knew Malachi was going to the uh, to the draft. So there was an anticipation that Malachi would be on this team with those guys in, in, in recruiting. So being able to, to then go out and, and get, you know, high level score, like, like Sean and, and, and Tanner, um, who, who, you know, those guys have scored a lot of points or even ice is a thousand point score. Like we were able to add some, you know, kind of through multiple guys, some, some, some scoring that we anticipated was going to be here with, with, if Malachi had returned. So the flexibility is really, really important. Um, and yeah, I think you got to be open to that every year. Do you think that the new, the immediate, like I guess it'd be technically it's called the one-time transfer rule. Do you think that makes recruiting and like crunching the numbers a little bit more difficult? Cause obviously you don't want to over recruit. You don't want to have too many guys coming in when you don't know how many are leaving, but you also don't necessarily want to say like, all right, we're at our number we're not going to offer anybody else because we're at our number. We're full when the numbers say also that on average, every programs they're going to lose probably one player per year. So then do you over recruit and say, we're going to, we're going to try to take one additional guy because we're going to assume we're probably going to lose somebody. Like, does that come into play at all when you're sitting with the staff kind of crunching numbers? Yeah. I think the, 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 the one thing, you know, is that you probably don't know exactly what you're going to need in the spring. And so it, there's value in having some flexibility in the spring. Um, I think, you know, the, the national average of transfers would, would probably be even even significantly higher than one, maybe, maybe you know, three, three or more. Um, and we, oh, we yeah. Certainly- the, average, the average number is definitely high, but I think it was like 10 Division One programs didn't lose a guy and all the others lost at least one. That's kind of what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think um, having some flexibility in the in the spring is is important and trying to build for that is important. You know, not just if if, you know, someone were to leave, but but leave early for the draft like we saw EJ and Malachi do. Um, But, you know, I I think, you know, we we sit here and and we talk a lot about, right, Okay, what in recruiting you you project, you try to project what your roster is going to look like. And then you realize, like, don't know if you can really count on those projections to be a hundred percent accurate. I think you can get close, but it's, it's hard to hard to project for with with certainty that that's exactly what your roster is gonna gonna look like because um, there's so many factors. So it's challenging. It's different. I think it's a great. I think it, 
kids being able to have the flexibility to do this is, is good. Um, you know, you, you hope that it's for, for the right reasons. If they, if people do decide to transfer and, you know, those could be a lot of different things. Um, but I, I think there's, yeah, you got to plan for some flexibility, but it's really, really hard to say in June or July or, you know, or October, even when you're projecting out a year or two years in advance to say, yep, this is exactly what we need. Um, because it's, it's really hard to, hard to say. Yeah. And just moving, moving backwards a little bit and moving more, a little bit more specific to you. Um, I believe there was an article in the dispatch a couple years back. I'm assuming with, with Adam kind of you saying that you didn't want to be a coach growing up because your dad's always done that. You didn't want to just follow in those same steps. Kind of what changed? Uh, was there a coach that changed your mind in that? Was it just kind of how you you know you kind of changed your mind on your own? How did you kind of get into coaching? Uh, you know, from your youth. Yeah, I um, it's crazy. So when I was when I was in high school, and you know, I certainly mm-hmm. like like most high school basketball players had a dream to play in the NBA. Um, I kind of realized early on that, man, I don't know that that's putting all my eggs in that basket is a smart idea. Um, so I actually was, you know, kind of my junior year of high school, I decided like, Hey, I'm going to use basketball to get the very best education I can. And I'm going to, um, I'm going to like own my own business or go into business or, you know, I, I just had these like grand aspirations of making, making, you know, millions and millions of dollars in, in, the, in the business sector. And so I actually, most people don't know this, I committed to West Point uh, my junior year of high school. And it was, it was probably um, around shortly after Christmas, my senior year of high school, I got a letter in the mail um, and, and West Point's really, really hard school to get into. And you got to go through a lot of different things to do that. Well, part of the process to get in um, is you have to do a thorough physical. And I actually failed the, the medical requirements to serve. Um, I had a, an abundance of, I think they, they called it red flags at the time. So um, I wasn't qualified. I didn't end up being able, wasn't able to get into West Point because of the, I failed that physical. Um, and that at that time, how I ended up at Valpo, Valpo was recruiting my brother, you know, I thought the moment I couldn't get into West Point, I thought, well, shoot, now I'm going to have to pay for my college. Valpo was like, we'll take, you know, you can come here. And I was like, shoot, okay, deal, done, let's go. <laughs> and, um, you know, ended up going to Valpo. And, and Valpo was was great for me because, you know, I changed kind of as a person. I actually got saved when I was in college. Um, and what led me to coaching is the, the most influential people in my life have always been coaches, been my dad be you know my college coaches um certainly you can go down the line to, to some of the guys I, I i played for in aau so i've and i've always seen with with my dad being a coach i've always seen the influence that coaches can have on on kids and so when i when i got saved actually it just kind of god put it on my heart to to go and and coach and i was fortunate that you know homer drew at the time would let let me stay on as a um as a student assistant, grad assistant, essentially. Um, and you know, kind of the rest, it just, the rest is history. I guess you would say from a, from my coaching career standpoint, but that's how I got my start into coaching. I really had no desire. It wasn't until around my junior year. Um, I, I got voted as a captain 
you know, as a sophomore and I didn't play at all as a freshman, which was really odd to me, but that kind of sparked in, in me a little bit more of like a leadership thing. And, and, you know, I think the people closest to me have said it's, that's just kind of naturally, I guess, um, what I gravitated towards even growing up. So that's kind of, that's how I got started, I guess. Yeah. What, uh, <clears throat> what is your relationship like with the Drews, you know, Homer Drew and Bryce Drew, obviously playing for Homer and then being an assistant under Bryce at Valpo and, and Vanderbilt. Uh, just what is that relationship like and how have they kind of impacted your coaching career? Yeah, I mean, I consider them like extended family. You know, um, Homer Drew was awesome to play for and he really helped me grow both on and off the court. And Bryce was my position coach. My first year playing at Valpo was his first year as an assistant. And so we kind of came through together. Um, and then when he got the head job at Valpo, he gave me my start as an assistant coach when I was, I think I had just turned um, 24 years old and, and, you know, to be 24 and be a division one assistant is, it's really, really young. So I owe that family a ton. I always will, because, you know, I think they, they believed in me, um, and, and gave me an opportunity to get started. And, you know, Br Bryce hired me, at, you know, as an assistant coach with zero high major assistant experience. Um, so, you know, you certainly, I've always tried to take things from the people that I've worked for, the, the, the things that I've admired and, and really thought they did at a high level. And there's certainly a lot of things from Homer, a lot of things from Bryce, from Bryce, a lot of things from Thad um, and, and, you know, taking things from, from coach Holtman every day. And this is actually kind of just on a personal level. I'm curious because as a Cavs fan, um, what is it like seeing the success Darius Garland has had? I know you were pretty key in bringing him to Vanderbilt and obviously he had a, unfortunate college injury that kind of prevented him from playing for the most part, but kind of what is it like to see him succeed as he has and, and all your guys that you see succeed in the NBA? It, it, it's awesome. And, and I think the best part is, you know, when, when you, when you recruit someone or, or help someone kind of work with them every day on developing as a player, there's no better feeling than hearing their name called on draft night. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, my wife and I were in New York um, with him and his family when when he got his heard his name called. And that was like just just such an unbelievable feeling. Um, and because, you know, that especially when you're picked at that point, like that's life, family changing money. Um, and, and we knew just you get to know them and their families on such a personal level. We knew kind of obviously how big of a struggle it was for him to get injured after, you know, committing to play at Vanderbilt and getting off to such a great start. And then him having to sit there and, and watch from the sideline, you know, just an absolute struggle of a season uh, that, that kind of followed that. And, but I was so happy that, you know, our struggles there didn't, didn't affect kind of his future and the future really of, of a lot of those guys. Um, and, but, it's and then you know to see him kind of sign the deal he's had and have the career he's had like it, it's just it, it's awesome um it just you know and and those relationships last like he, he and I still talk and you know he's he'll still like he has my wife's number he still texts her when you know and once in a while when my wife got pregnant sent her congratulations and you know I think like that that stuff it, it just it's bigger than basketball um and 
it's it it's so good seeing seeing those guys play and, and live out their dreams. And then just my final question before we hop into some rapid fire ones and, and get you out of here. Uh, just what was it like being, you know, recently you were inducted with John into the Upper Sandusky High School Athletics Hall of Fame. I believe your dad presented you guys with your plaques. Just what is that kind of like to be able to kind of forge your own path in that regard and, um, you know, be able to be honored, you know, obviously where it all began, I guess you'd say. Yeah, it, it was really special. Um, basketball is obviously a family business for us. And, you know, even to this day, my favorite basketball moment has been, you know, my senior year, my younger brother on the team, my dad as the head coach, going undefeated and winning a state championship. Um, like that, that I don't know if because of the family connection, I don't know if I'll ever be able to have a, a just a more enjoyable basketball moment than that. And, you know, the Hall of Fame was was a great kind of reminder um, of that moment. And for my dad to be able to be there and, and certainly you don't get to experience, especially in basketball, right? You don't get to be a, you don't get an honor like that without playing with great teammates and, and being a part of a great community. And, and so, you know, our time at upper was, was special. Um, and we had some, you know, like guys like Greg McKaylee who were on that team who, you know, sacrificed when we moved in, he was a really, really good basketball player, had, a, had an unbelievable football career at Mount union, but, people forget that he sacrificed when we moved in. I mean, he was a, above a 20 point per game score before we got there. And, and so it's, you're reminded of, of guys like that, you know, who were part of that team who helped us get to that. But I think ultimately it's, it's, it, when you think about dad, brother championship, it, it just, the, the hall of fame was really cool. Cause you got to kind of reminisce on that. All right. By the way, you said Darius texted you and said, congratulations. Congratulations from us as well. Pretty soon you're gonna have to carve. Pretty soon you're gonna have to carve out like an hour and a half when you're on the road recruiting, so that they can pass the phone around to, to you to say good night when you've got three, four kids. That's got to be part of your schedule at night. Um, yeah, it, it's a when you got when you got a four year old daughter who thinks she's about to turn sixteen. That that <laughs> takes up the bulk of that time just with one. So yeah, you're right on that. All right, give the phone back to mom now. All right, give the phone. You gotta go. All right, we're gonna we're gonna close this out the way we do with everybody with some rapid fire questions. Uh, you can answer these either as as short or as long as you want. You can answer it, move on. You can expand on it a little bit. Feel free. Um, Coach Holtman was episode six, and he answered several of these. You are episode forty eight, so we're gonna ask you some of the same questions we actually Ooh. asked him. Are you, you ready? I'm ready. What is the loudest or rowdiest road arena you've had to go coach in, Big Ten or otherwise? Big Ten is Purdue. Um, otherwise, we were we were at Rupp Arena, sold out when John Calipari got a, a technical. That might have been the loudest, I guess, outside of the Big Ten. Uh, name a visiting arena that you always look forward to visiting, Big Ten or otherwise. Could be the same answer. <laughs> Yeah, I love going to Purdue because of the atmosphere. I, I love going to Illinois, too. Great atmosphere, and you just know that game is going to be an absolute dogfight. Um, so I think th those two. It's early. You're still in practice, haven't even played a game yet. But who do you think is the goofiest or funniest player on this year's team? Um, there's probably – you could probably pick one of three guys, Zed Key, Felix Akpara, and then um, Owen, 
our, our, our walk on uh, is a, a dark horse for funniest on the team. Yes. I like that. Um, as someone who travels probably more than 99% of America, what is your go-to road trip snack? Oh man, I'm about to really like tell them myself. So I love, I love um, airport Chinese food. Oh, I do. Cool. Yes. Uh, that is like, <laughs> it does not matter what time of the day, if it is open or if I ate earlier, I like, I have to, I have to stop and have it. I, I love it. All right. So speaking of, uh, of, of top tier cuisine, um, what is your favorite restaurant in the city of Columbus? I mean, it could be a chain or it could be something unique to the city. So my favorite food is sushi. And I will have to go with my favorite sushi spot, which is uh, Diaspora on on campus, actually, kind of near the corner of Lane and High next to the Noodles and Company. So if, if you like sushi in Columbus, I would highly, highly suggest stopping <laughs> in there. And then uh, which professional sports teams or team do you root for? Where, where are you put, putting your alliance, alliance alliances? Um, you more, I think being in sports, you're more, you more root for players, um, especially on the basketball side, guys, you know, but, you know, ultimately Ohio teams, I think, you know, I can't pretend to like, not like the Ohio teams when they're struggling versus when they're doing good. So there's always a, a soft spot uh, for, for the Ohio teams. Um, I'm actually a Yankees baseball fan because my dad had me rooting for the Yankees growing up. So I know that's an easy, easy one to root for. Um, but yeah, I'd say I'd say most mostly the Ohio teams and um, and yeah, the the uh, the Yankees. All right. Well, we, we covered quite a bit in about a half an hour. Um, we know you've got a lot going on. I thought you said you had an early flight tomorrow, so we're going to let you go. But we really appreciate your time, as do all the listeners, I'm sure. Uh, so, Coach Diebler, good luck, safe travels, and I'm sure we'll talk again real soon. Yeah, th thanks for having me on, guys, and um, appreciate, you know, kind of what you do covering our program. And, yeah, we'll hope to see you, see you around the shot here soon. Awesome. Appreciate it, Coach. All right, that will about do it for us today. If you found us on the website, please make sure to also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your music so that you'll be notified when we release our new episodes, which is now back to weekly. Um, you can find us under the Land Grant Holy Land feed. Yeah, you can find uh, our Twitter account at BucketheadsLGHL. Obviously, with us being weekly and the season starting, we'll have a lot more content on there. Uh, coming up, you know, it's kind of tough in the summer, but you know, we'll be, we'll be full throttle come hoops time. Like, like we've said before, we're going to try to do some spaces or something like that here or there, um, stuff like that. So, you know, you can also follow me at Justin underscore Golba, Connor, where are you? Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it is at Lamans, which is L-E-M-O-N-S underscore Connor. Um, follow us on Twitter, get us past, uh, hang out in the Holy land, like we said a couple weeks ago, Hangout in the Holy Land is Land Grant's main podcast that focuses on football. Um, we've only been in existence for a year, and we've almost caught them in Twitter followers. So let's get those numbers up. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. And as always, go Bucks. <laughs>
Mash. Mm-hmm.